Hey everybody, welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I am recording this on Sunday night. We had a really awesome service this morning. I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who was involved. Uh, Band, you guys crushed it. Hannah, you destroyed it. But the biggest thanks goes out to everybody sitting in the seats. (laughs) Thank you so much for being there. We appreciate the support so much. We are meeting in person, obviously. We are doing it in a socially distanced way and everyone is wearing a mask. So if you wanna come check us out, uh, just don't worry. We're gonna keep things as safe as possible. Um, We have little clusters of chairs, kind of in, you know, little chunks of two and three chairs here and there spread throughout the room. And you have to wear a mask the whole time. So it's super safe, super chill. Come on out, we'd love to have you. Um, Thank you so much to everyone who has been there. The support means so much. And speaking of support, I just wanted to share something that Hannah shared today in the service. Um, But you won't get to hear it because it was at the end of the service. And you have to actually, you know, either watch on Facebook Live or attend in person to hear the benediction at the end. We don't include that in these podcasts. So it was a little announcement about finances. So we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone out there who has supported Different Church financially. Uh, We just reached a couple of really cool milestones. Um, Number one, we are going to be subcontracting a financial person, which is great. That is one of the things that has kind of fallen on Hannah's plate. And it is not only not her strong suit, she actively hates it. (laughs) So, and it's really nice to have someone doing it outside of the church. We're all about being financially transparent. So it's just even more transparency and you just know that anything you send our way is going to be used in an awesome way. Um, Secondly, secondarily, whatever, um, we do this thing called reverse tithe. Anytime anyone gives us any money, we take 10% right off the top and donate it straight back into the community. We kind of figure if we're going to ask you guys to be generous, then we need to be generous ourselves. So we have a reverse tithe set up over the past couple months and we're giving away a couple different pieces. Two of them are secret for now, but we'll, we'll tell you soon. Uh, the other one that is not a secret is we're giving $1,000 to um, Sunshine City Counseling. And they are uh, counselors, therapists, um, and they have a fund that you can donate to. And it takes care of paying therapy bills for people who really need it but can't afford it. And we figure right now there are some people struggling with some serious anxiety and understandably. And so we just want to help people uh, to get the help that they need. So we're very proud to do that. Also, we are going to be partnering with them in September, I believe September 20th. We are going to do like a mental health panel at church. Um, It's going to be a really cool day. We're going to have a couple experts come in and just hang out with us. I don't think Hannah's talking at all that day. We'll probably do like a an abbreviated music set and we're just going to talk about mental health and you can ask questions. You can ask questions ahead of time. Shoot us an email. Hello at diffchurch.com. Hit us up on social. Anything you want to know about mental health. Let's talk about it. Cool. Uh, Those are pretty much all the announcements. Really exciting stuff going on. You still can join our super chill book club if you want to. Um, just same thing. Hello at diffchurch.com or hit us up on social media. We are, we've only read the, the prologue so far, so you can jump in this week. We're going to be talking about chapter one. 
Um, that's it. Uh, super excited about today's uh, service. It was so great. I hope you really enjoy this uh, service, which I named earlier, but then I forgot the name. Oh, here's the name. You're crushing it. That's the name. Good for you. You're crushing it. Good morning. How y'all doing? I'm still a little tired. This is all fake energy. I've had a coffee. I chugged it. Burned my tongue. So I'm going to regret that later. <laughs> Please take out your phone and go to diff.church. That is the best way to get a hold of us. You need to be on our email list so that we can update you, not spam you, but let you know if any, anything that might change with our services. And also, we want to know about you. So what are you praying about? If you want to volunteer, if you want to jump in somewhere, and like, how did you find us? Are we internet famous? You can tell us. <laughs> Sorry. Started, I think. So this morning, our passage comes from Matthew and is a story of Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water. How many of you have heard of this story? Cool. Most of you. Um, you can go like a hundred different ways with this story. And I've picked one. So we're going to go on a journey. And I know last week I talked for a long time before we read the scripture, but today we're just going to read it up front. So put your seatbelts on. We're going to get some Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33 in the New Living Translation. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind in the waves... He became terrified and began to sink. Save me, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And then they climbed back in the boat, and the wind stopped. And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Now, this is a story drowning, no pun intended. That's a lie, it was intended. With emotion. So to get the full feeling, we actually have to back up a little bit. Um, earlier in chapter 14, if you read, which I highly recommend you do, John the Baptist was actually killed by Herod Antipas, who was not the Herod that was alive when Jesus was born and like killed all the babies and did the whole wise men thing. That's Christmas story. <laughs> Lovely Christmas story. <laughs> Killing babies. So it's not that Herod. It's actually his son. And Herod Antipas rules over Galilee, and he kills John the Baptist. He chops his head off and gives it to his wife on a platter. This is not a horror movie. It's just the Bible. It's just in Matthew. And after this, John the Baptist's disciples, they go and get what's left of his body. They give it a proper burial. And don't be weirded out that John the Baptist has disciples. Jesus is not the only person that has disciples. Disciple just means student or follower. So you could be a disciple of anything. You could be like a disciple of Star Wars. 
Um, that would be totally fine. So John the Baptist has disciples. Jesus has disciples. Lots of people have disciples. They're not competing. John the Baptist's disciples bury him, and then they go tell Jesus what happened. This is actually a really big deal, not just because John the Baptist was the person who announced that Jesus was coming. He's this comrade. He's like this person who's working in the faith with Jesus, like doing all these great things. It was actually Jesus' cousin. Like they had grown up together. They, Mary and Elizabeth, who was John the Baptist's mom, they were pregnant at the same time. Like these are two people who had spent their lives together. So Jesus hears this news that his cousin is dead, not just dead, but has been actually murdered. That's a huge loss for him. And I know it's really hard for us to imagine Jesus as human, like one of the basic tenets of the Christian faith is like, Jesus was God. Yes, but also Jesus was human. So for us to imagine that Jesus had no feelings about this is ridiculous. He would have been just like you would have been if a family member you have lost, you would have been just overwhelmed, right? So he tries to go off by himself. He's like, I didn't have enough of you people. I just need some time alone. Except Jesus doesn't get any time alone. A huge crowd follows him. And when I say a huge crowd, I mean 5,000 people. They only counted the men. So how many people? They brought all their families with him. 5,000 men plus all their families follow Jesus out into the woods, essentially. He can't even get one day to himself to like have grief and process loss he, without all these people making demands on him. But, you know, he's still patient. He's still compassionate. Maybe this is because he is Jesus. Or maybe it's because this is the best way to remember his friend and fellow laborer, John, because John would have wanted to help these people. Like, what a better way to remember John than to further the work and take care of people like John was doing. So Jesus heals all the sick in the crowd. He feeds a whole bunch of people with some loaves and fishes. It's a different story. And finally, this crowd starts to leave him alone. And Jesus is like, thank God. Did Jesus say thank God? I don't know. That's what I would say <laughs> if I were Jesus. He's like, finally, these people are going to leave me alone. I'm going to get some peace and quiet. So I would like you, disciples to also leave me alone, please. Get in the boat and go to Galilee. I'll meet you there at some point. Jesus is just at the end of his rope, like emotionally. So he sends his disciples off to cross the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus goes off to pray and sit quietly. And this is before the sun goes down. So he sends them off. He goes off into the mountain. And this is the background of everything that happens before we pick up in chapter 14 before the disciples get in the boat. So I think we can begin to understand that before the disciples even get in the boat and encounter this crazy physical storm, they're already kind of in a storm emotionally. I mean, I, they're wondering about their fate, right? If John got his head chopped off, what is going to happen to us? Are we going to get our heads chopped off? Like this threat seems really real now. And what about Jesus? There have already been threats on Jesus' life, and we're not even with him. He made us leave him alone. And at least when he was here, like he's out in the wilderness, people could be kidnapping him right now. 
At least when he's with us, we know where he is, and there's safety in numbers. But who knows what's happening to Jesus off by himself in the mountains? And we're just here worrying, and they're sad about John the Baptist too. Of course, they know who he is. And they're in a boat, and then this storm comes up, kind of like the storms we've been having lately. Like we had one the other day at 5 a.m. that woke me up for like an hour. Crazy thunder and lightning, and my husband slept through it. I was like, how? I wish I had that gift. So they're in a boat in the crazy storm. Now, I was safe in my house when the storm was going on. I was just like, dear God, please don't let the power go off. Don't let the power go off because if the power goes off, then I'm going to get really hot because the air conditioner goes off. And then, you know, the next day at work is going to be awful. That's my life. The disciples are actually in a boat. They don't have life jackets or anything, I don't think, back then. They're just in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of like a big lake. I don't have lakes to reference. We have like the Gulf of Mexico. But if you're from up north, maybe like Lake Michigan, or one of those lakes that's like several miles across. And like, I think the Sea of Galilee is like seven miles long and a few across. So they're trying to go across. You can't see the shore. And the Sea of Galilee was famous for the storms that would just happen out of nowhere. Sounds like a terrible way to spend the night to me. They're fighting the waves all night. They're hanging on for dear life. They're bailing water out of their boat. They're trying not to capsize. And one of the things I find really interesting about this story is that Jesus does not come rescue them immediately. They left before the sun went down. Jesus does not show up till 3 a.m. He took his time. He took the time he needed for himself first. And I'm sure there's like a metaphor here about, you know, put your own oxygen mask on before you help someone else. So the waves are huge. The wind is howling. The rain is pouring ducats. Ducats. <laughs> the rain is pouring buckets. It's dark. It's, except for the lightning, <laughs> then you can see. And then just, you know, across the waves, Jesus shows up in the strangest manner possible, just walking on top of the water. Jesus is not anxious. Jesus is not upset. Jesus is not afraid. Just walking. Jesus also does not seem to be in a hurry. It's not like he's running at them like, oh no, you're drowning. Let me rescue you and turn off this storm. No, he's just walking. Completely non-anxious presence when everything is going nuts around them in the boat. And we might think that's super weird. Like I'm sure the disciples thought that was super weird. But guess what? It's the middle of the night. They're wet. They're cold. They're tired. They're exhausted emotionally. They're exhausted physically. They've been fighting the storm. But they had made it through the night already. They actually did not need Jesus to come rescue them. It didn't say the disciples were drowning. It said the disciples were fighting a storm. With everything going on, they still made it. They were still making it through the storm. And there has to be a metaphor here too, right? Like the second something goes wrong in our lives, we instantly are like, God, can you fix this, please? I am clearly drowning. Like I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm tired of fighting. I mean, it would be nice if the storm would stop, but you actually might not need the storm to stop. I don't know, I don't know who needs to hear me say this this morning. Somebody here or somebody on the interwebs who's watching, you don't need to be rescued all the time. 
It would be nice if the waters were calm in your life, right? It would be nice if God would just come fix whatever's going on because you're tired and you've been fighting for what seems like hours, but you actually might not need to be rescued. Look at how far you have made it already. You're not drowning. You're still in the boat. You're still on top of the waves. You just need a non-anxious presence to reassure you and say, actually, you got this. Look, I wasn't here all night, and you're still upright. I wasn't here all night, and look, the waves did not take you out. You might be tired, but you're actually making it. You don't need me to come rescue you every time something goes wrong. Let's hold another sermon. Just before we get sidetracked. Let's keep going. Then we get to Peter. Peter. Peter, whose nickname was The Rock. I'm not sure if that's because he was like muscle man like The Rock or just because he was, you know, <laughs> The Rock. Peter is stubborn, sometimes crude, matter of fact, tell it like it is kind of guy. He's just as tired as the rest of the disciples. But he does something very brave slash stupid. I, like, I don't know about you, but I have a pretty healthy sense of self-preservation. Like if I, with my own eyes, were to see Jesus walking on water in the middle of the storm, my first thought would not be, I could also do that. <laughs> it would not be my first thought or my second thought or my thousandth thought. No, I'm not getting out of the boat. Why would Peter think he could do what Jesus was doing? So he sees Jesus doing something impossible, and that gives him enough faith to think that he can do it too. So he takes a step out of the boat, which is pretty spectacular. He jumps out of a boat in the middle of a storm. I can for sure tell you I would not have done that. I would have been one of the other disciples. Like, it doesn't say what the other disciples were doing, but they're probably like, Peter, get in the boat. We don't have life jackets. You're going to drown. Is this what I have to tell your mother? I'm sorry he drowned, not in a storm, because we were actually beating the storm. He literally just jumped out of the boat, and then he died. <laughs> Peter climbs out of the boat anyways, starts walking on the water, just like Jesus. And I usually hear messages about how Peter takes a step, immediately panics, drowns, Jesus has to save him. But the text doesn't actually say how many steps Peter took or how far away Jesus was or anything like that. It says, Peter walked on the water towards Jesus. To me, that means more than one step. Like, this is several steps, at least. Peter actually made it pretty far. Way to go, Peter. Of course, you know, then he gets distracted, remembers he could die. <laughs> and he starts sinking. Jesus has to grab him. And then they walk back to the boat together on top of the waves. And they get in the boat, and the storm stops, and they all live happily ever after. The end. Just kidding. <laughs> it's not the end. Uh, I mean, they do make it to the boat. If you don't know this story, nobody drowns. Um, do you ever think about what would happen if Peter hadn't sunk? Like, if he just had perfect confidence the entire time. He just gets out of the boat. He just glides across the waves to meet Jesus. Doesn't sink for even a second. The disciples are blown away. They're so inspired by this, they all get out of the boat. They're like, who needs a boat? We can actually walk on the water. They just have a party on the water with Jesus. That would be a different story. That might be a better story. But it would not be a story about us, would it? 
It would not be a human story. We could call Peter's attempt a failure and hear condemnation in Jesus' words. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Or we could recognize Peter's attempt for what it is, a completely ridiculous, <laughs> spectacular step of courage and faith that he should be commended for. He took a first step, which was really difficult. And this is what I want you to get. Like, if you don't hear anything else I say, like, this is what I want you to take away from this passage this morning. Of course he can't keep it up for very long. We're all like, Peter, if you got out of the boat, how come you didn't have enough faith to make it all the way to Jesus? If you didn't have enough faith to make it all the way there, why did you even start? You need to work on your faith. No, of course he couldn't make it all the way to Jesus. He doesn't have his footing yet. He's never done this before. He doesn't have the internal tools that he needs to face the wind trying to knock him over. He doesn't have the muscle memory yet. All the people who laugh at Peter for this just want to fight them. Dumb Peter. <laughs> doesn't have enough faith. This is not how faith works. Faith is something that has to be learned. And maybe you've grown up in a church or you've been a part of a faith community that like told you, you just don't have enough faith for whatever reason. You just don't have enough faith. It's your fault. I don't think that's true at all. It's not that you don't have enough faith. You're here. You're trying. You must at least have some. It's that we haven't practiced the faith that we have enough yet. We haven't had opportunities to build those muscles yet. Peter took a crazy first step, but he didn't have the tools to sustain it. He needed to try again and again and again, just like we do. And if you think that sounds crazy, like here's a few examples. The first time you speak up for yourself in a harmful relationship, don't let someone walk all over you. That's a crazy first step. Doesn't mean you're going to do it again the next day, does it? The first time you decide to actually be honest and vulnerable and authentic and share what's really going on in your life with someone instead of being like, it's fine, everything's fine, it's fine. The first time you set a boundary with someone when you, boundaries are not your strong suit, the first time you choose to do anything that scares you because you know it's good for you, the first time maybe you pray after a long time of not wanting to talk to God, the first time maybe you set foot in a church after some not-so-nice experiences, that's a crazy first step. But they, all of those things require practice. Just because you speak up for yourself once doesn't mean you're going to the next time. Just because you set a boundary once doesn't mean you're going to enforce it in a week when that person's like, but you can do it, right? You have to practice. You have to build up the tools in your arsenal. You have to build up the muscle memory to be able to do it again and again and again. And then you'll find it easier and easier and easier. And to even take the first step means that you have a depth of faith already. Who knows how long it's been building? Who knows for how many years that little seed of faith has been growing and growing. And for the first time, it's strong enough to actually support you when you take a risk. It might not hold you up indefinitely, but you don't have to worry. 
Jesus will make sure you don't drown while you're practicing. Jesus was right there the whole time. The sentence that Jesus says to Peter when he starts to sink is, you have so little faith, which is kind of negative. And that's how I've always heard it. Like, I was born in church, so I've heard this passage too many times. Is that okay for me to say? (laughs) I have heard part of the Bible too many times. It's so like, you have so little faith. You should be more. You should do better. You shouldn't be sinking. Why did you even get out of the boat if you weren't going to have enough faith to sustain you? And I think that that's a wrong interpretation of it. And I heard a translation this past week that I think is so beautiful and so delightful. And maybe it will help us think of this in a little bit of a different way. So instead of Jesus grabbing Peter's arm and saying, you have so little faith, imagine it this way. Jesus grabbing Peter's arm and saying, oh, little faith one, why did you doubt me? Oh, little faith one, I've got you. Look how far your faith has taken you already. You might feel like you only have a teensy, tiny, microscopic bit of faith, but it got you out of the boat. I feel like Jesus was not being negative at all. He was saying, Peter, he was being gentle and sweet, that non-anxious presence. Oh, little faith one. It's a reassurance. It's not a condemnation. You don't have to be more. You don't have to do more. You don't have to work on your faith. You just have to keep practicing. You've come so far already. Once upon a time, you didn't have any faith. And Jesus had to do all the holding to make sure that you didn't drown. But look at you now. Look at the steps you have taken on your own. Look at the hours you've spent fighting and actually not drowning. Look at the steps you've taken out of the boat. Your faith has grown, it's exploded, even if you weren't aware of it. It's like a reassurance that you would give a child, right? Like if a child's learning to ride a bike or something, you wouldn't be like, you fell over, you're so dumb. No, you'd say, oh, keep trying. You've got this, I'm right here. That's what we say, right? You're okay, I'm here. Every time a kid like falls over for no apparent reason, we're like, it's, you're fine, you're okay. And they're like, I am? Oh, okay, I am. I guess I won't scream at the top of my lungs. Keep trying, you've got this. I'm right here, I'm holding the bike seat. Remember last week when you had training wheels and the thought of taking them off was like, the worst thing I could have ever said to you? Now you only have two wheels and you're doing all the pedaling by yourself. I'm not going to let the seat go until you're ready. But actually, you're ready. Oh, little faith one, don't doubt me. You're okay. I'm right here. I think the way that Jesus spoke to Peter was like this beautiful invitation. Keep showing up with all of your God-given capabilities. With all that you have inside of you, keep showing up over and over and over again and keep taking another step. No matter how many times you start to sink, don't get discouraged. You will learn how to walk on the water. Peter must have been afraid all night long, just like all the disciples.
yet he still manages to do something incredible. Not by downplaying his fears, not by pretending everything's fine, but by connecting with something true in the middle of them. And I think that as adults, we don't have a lot of practice at this. Like when we're kids, everything is new. You experience food for the first time. You experience walking for the first time. Everything is unstable. Everything is new. And kids are like, got it. Even if they have a meltdown, like the next day, they're like, I forgot about that. I'm going to start trying to walk again. I'm still going to pull myself up even though I nosedived off the couch yesterday. My mom caught me by one ankle to save me from certain concussion. Kids are like, I don't remember that. I'm going to try again. But as adults, we're like, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the muscle memory. I don't have the skills. It's not going to be easy the first time or the second time or maybe the 30th time. So I don't, maybe we just won't do that. I don't want to fall because it, maybe it's going to hurt more this time. But the trust on something true in the middle, the thing that is embodied right in front of you, God is a person. God is a friend. The impossible will become possible when you hear the words of Jesus saying, oh, little faith one, don't doubt me. You can actually do this. I will not let you drown. And you know this is true in your innermost soul because you have not drowned yet. Like your success rate of surviving bad days, 100% so far. That's a pretty good record. So we have two more songs to sing and they're, they're like very worshipful songs, which I love to get my worship on sometimes. And I just, like what is it in your life that you don't want to do? What is it that feels scary? What is it that you want God to rescue you from? Just reflect on that and remember Jesus saying, I will not let you drown. You actually have this. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a passage that we've heard a hundred times but can somehow still speak to us. Thank you for a moment out of our entire week to just pause and sit and think and reflect and to not have to be anywhere but here. Give us the reassurance. Give, be that non-anxious presence in our lives and help us notice your non-anxious presence of reassurance as we keep taking steps and help us be that for each other. Amen. <laughs>